0: It's great. I was asked to speak about um, our devotional lives and how to develop, how we can develop a really good devotional life. It's an important question to all of us. So why am I speaking about Daniel? Well, I thought, why not take an example from the Old Testament of someone who was a beacon to everybody. He was amazing. People still talk about him today. When I, was, uh, when I was a boy, sometimes my, my mom and dad used to take me to, to the circus. And one of the things, of course, back in those days, I would see was lion taming. And this is what Daniel is remembered for, of course. If you ask anybody, a non-Christian, have you ever heard of Daniel? Oh yeah, he was, he was that lion tamer in the Bible, wasn't he? Of course, he wasn't that. We know he wasn't that. But we will look briefly about his time in in the lion's den a little bit further on so I just want to look at his life and see how he developed such a powerful devotional life and then I'm going to go into the New Testament uh, and look at some of the things the New Testament says and guidance for us and how we can develop our life today and it's nothing to do with lions I can assure you first of all let me say Daniel was not from a; he was from a good background, but he did not have a good start in life. In uh, chapter one of Daniel, I'll just read a couple of verses there. It tells us about his uh, his beginning and how he came to Babylon. Chapter one. In the third year of the reign of. some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So Daniel was either from the royal family or at least from one of the noble families. And these had to be young men without any physical defect. Handsome. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed. Quick to understand. And qualified to serve in the king's palace. Sound like anybody here? I mean this was the cream of the Israeli nation. That they were taking. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Oh no. Do you like learning languages? No I don't. I don't imagine he did either. He didn't speak any Babylonian. He was probably 15 years old, certainly in his teens when this happened, and was taken into captivity. He never saw his family again, if they survived the invasion. We don't know if, if, if they did. He never went back to his home of Israel again. He spent the rest of his life in Babylon and in Persia. So the, his start in life was not that wonderful. He was a captive. He was in a Gentile country. First of all in Babylon. Serving the Babylonians. Today they're called Iraq. Iraqis. And then the Persians. They're called Iran today. The Iranians. And he was assimilated into their culture. They made him learn a new language. A new culture. They changed his name. And he had no contact with his nation. There was no Skype in those days. There was no email in those days. He was totally cut off for the rest of his life. Yet he was faithful to God. How did that happen? In those circumstances, how could he be so faithful to God and how could he go on to become such an amazing prophet of God through whom God spoke because of his powerful devotional life. That's what I think it was. Another reason I chose Daniel one, that was the first reason. The second reason I chose Daniel was because the New Testament validates him so powerfully. I looked at Matthew's gospel. And you know my Bible's got a column in the middle with cross-references. So I went through Matthew and I looked for all the references from Old Testament prophets. Quotations from Old Testament prophets in the book of Matthew. And I went down and I counted them, 128 of them. And 16% were from Daniel. For us, he was a really important prophet. And we see so much of him in the New Testament. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, it was Jesus in Matthew 24 who quotes time and again from Daniel, talking about the end times, talking about what was going to happen to the nation, talking about what was going to happen to the Gentile nations and what's going to happen even in, in our future as well. To the world we live in. Why did he have this wonderful devotional life? Well, the answer is simple. And I want to focus on three. The first is he believed in Bible study. We read that already. Uh, Darren read that. I, Daniel... Chapter 9, verse 1. I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures. Already he was a man of the Scriptures. And understanding from the Scriptures, according to the word the Lord had given to Jeremiah the prophet. So the Scriptures, these were the Scriptures he had. It wasn't the Scriptures we have. We have a complete canon of Scripture, Old and New Testament. He didn't have that. But he did have Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, He was prophesying at the same time as Daniel, only to begin with, Jeremiah was still in Israel. And he saw that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So he took what he read in the scriptures and what he understood in the scriptures and put it into his prayers. But to know this, to begin with, he must have been somebody who studied his Bible regularly. I'd say Bible study, reading the scriptures, was an integral part of his life. Is Bible study an integral part of our life? Do we study the scriptures just on Sunday? Or do we study the scriptures Monday to Sunday? See, just on Sunday isn't enough. Somebody preaches here for half an hour. If we are going to try and subsist on that and have a devotional life based on that, understanding that, it's not enough. It wasn't enough for Daniel, and it's not enough for us. We need to read God's word every day. Secondly, of course, it leads straight into it, prayer. His life was characterized by prayer. And this is one of the most amazing prayers, I think, that anybody has ever has ever published, anyway. And God published this for him, remember. First of all, it was a serious prayer. Verse three. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition. Prayer, glorifying God, petition, asking God. In fasting. When was the last time any of us fasted before we prayed? We don't have to, but we can. And in sackcloth and ashes, I bet nobody went into sackcloth and ashes. No, me neither. Some things don't carry from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we'll come on to some others in a minute as well. Well, there's nothing wrong if you want to put on sackcloth and ashes. Secondly, Humbly. In uh, chapter 9, verse 20. 20. Chapter 9, verse 20. Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. See, he was confessing for the people. And through the prayer that Darren read, did you pick up? the number of times that we is in that prayer and our is in that prayer verse 5 we have sinned and done wrong we have been wicked we have turned away verse 6 we have not listened to your servants the prophets verse 7 we are covered with shame verse still in verse 7 god has scattered us because of our unfaithfulness verse 8 we and our kings it goes on and on 18 times in this one prayer Daniel identifies with the sins of the people of Israel. Although, judging by his character displayed in what we read of him, I don't think he was like that. But he was identifying with his people who were. Verse 20. uh, 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, which is the name for Jerusalem, the city which is in ruins now, overrun by Nebuchadnezzar, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, is one of the senior angels. I don't know about you, but I always thought that All angels were pretty swift when they were flying. They were were fast. But here, it actually says, (laughs) there was no delay here. He came in swift flight. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Notice God didn't wait for Daniel to finish his prayer. As soon as you began to pray, God turned to Gabriel, who stands close to the throne of God, and said, Gabriel, go with your message for Daniel. And Gabriel came in swift flight, swoosh, and he was there. One minute beside God's throne in heaven, the next minute. Beside Daniel in Babylon. And that's even more remarkable. If you, if you know anything about history. If you know anything about the history of China. And Nor and I were missionaries for some years. And, and one of our involvements was in China. And I learned a lot in China about Confucius. He was a philosopher. Chinese philosopher. Uh, he never said that he was a god. People afterwards said he was. But... He didn't, but he was searching for the answers to the meaning of life, Confucius. He was a very bright guy, but he was looking in the wrong place. He was looking in classical Chinese literature, and he was looking for the answers there. And You can't find the answers there, and that's what he found. He spent all his life searching and didn't find them and died a disappointed person. Daniel was searching in the right place in the scriptures, And praying to the right God, the one and only true God. And God sent him the answers. He got his answers. If we want answers to questions in life, we have to go to the right place to get them. And the internet isn't the right place. And the scriptures, that's the right place. And how to get them is through prayer. And we see that in Daniel's life. He says that he's not righteous himself. Uh, We're not righteous Lord. But you're merciful. So he pleads for God's mercy. uh, On him and on Jerusalem. And on the nation of Israel. So he was committed to Bible study. He was committed to prayer. But there was a third thing. He had a godly character. And that comes out as well. Chapter 10. the The next Chapter, just a couple of verses. Verse 11. God said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. This is God speaking. He's, God says, Daniel, I think a lot of you. you are, that's what highly esteemed means. I think a lot of you, Daniel. And actually he said it in, um, the angel said it in verse 23 of chapter 9. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. And then again in chapter 10 and verse 18, do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Three times God says to Daniel, I think a lot of you, Daniel. His character must have been really godly for God to think a lot of him in this way. There are other examples of, of why I think he had a godly character. We can see it in chapter 6. I'll just uh, flip back to chapter 6. This was when uh, the people that he was working with in the government decided to try and trip Daniel. They knew that he prayed regularly. Because he always went upstairs. He presumably had apartments upstairs. And he would throw open the windows that faced Jerusalem. And he would pray facing Jerusalem. And let me say, there's nothing magical about praying with windows open. Don't have to do that today. But what it did for him was to focus his mind on what he was praying for. If he could look in the direction and know that's where Jerusalem is. And that focused his attention on his prayers. But these uh, colleagues of his persuaded the king to make an edict that nobody could pray to any god except the king for a month. 30 days. And if they did, they'd be thrown into the lion's den. Chapter 6, verse uh, 4 says, They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Would our colleagues at work, if they searched hard enough, looking into our work life, would they come up with the same conclusion? And say, oh, we can't find any corruption. This person is trustworthy. They're not corrupt. And they're not negligent. They're diligent. Is that what the unbelieving world would say about us? That's what the unbelieving world said about Daniel. He was a godly man. So, did this stop Daniel praying? Well... Verse 18, sorry, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. It didn't change his habit of prayer one little bit. Even though he knew he could end up in the den of lions. And we know he did end up in the den of lions. By the way, by this time, he was my age. He was in his 70s when he went into the den of lions. I wouldn't fancy going into a den of lions. I don't know about you. Maybe he was scared, but it didn't stop him praying anyway. He went into the den of lions, and God, of course, kept him. Verse 21 says, Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. He was a godly man. A man of prayer and a man of the word of God. But Let's flip forward into the New Testament to the gospel of John. We've looked at an example of an Old Testament prophet who had a really powerful devotional life. Now we may never be able to develop our devotional life to be like Daniel's, to be exactly like him. We may never have to face the issues he had to face. But we can improve it, I'm sure. We can all improve our devotional life. How do we do that? Well, first of all, Let's look at John chapter 14 and verse 14. I'm not sure what, the, what that is in the, what page number is in the church Bible. Somebody? 1,082, page 1,082. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 14. It says, You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Then in the next chapter, 15, verse 7, Whatever you ask, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then a bit further down, verse 16. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now to me, that sounds pretty much like a blank check. Ask anything, and I'll do it for you. Ask anything, God will do it for you. Now from my own experience, I know that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Why? Because what I did a moment ago when I read these three verses is I did what we should never do. Take them out of context. I took those three verses out of context. And if you do that, you take a text out of a context, you make it a pretext. You just make it mean whatever you like. And we're not supposed to do that. So let me go back and read them again with their immediate context. Verse 13, chapter 14, verse 13. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then it goes on, you may ask for anything in my name. And those two little words there are so important, so that it connects the two sentences. And before anybody asks me, I did check, and those two words, so that, are in the Greek. Sometimes people preach sermons on words that are not in the Greek because they're in the translation and they're put there to make it seem more readable, but but these words are there. It's connected in the original inspired text. Our prayers must glorify the Son and glorify the Father. So if I pray to God and ask for a Bentley or a Jaguar... It's not going to work because that is never going to glorify God or the Son. Oh, I can't think of any circumstances where it would anyway. Uh, Verse 7 of chapter 15. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We've got to remain in him. He is the vine. We have to remain in the vine. And his words must remain in us. So to begin with, we have to know his words, the words of Christ, the words of God. And that comes back to reading our Bibles every day so that we know what his words are. And then uh, the, the last uh, verse 16, I, if I go to verse 15, six, verse 16. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So if we are abiding in him and he is in us and we are producing fruit, and I don't mean converts by that. We we automatically think of fruit as meaning we must have converts everywhere. And everybody wants converts, of course. Converts to Christianity. But I think it's talking more about here the fruit of the Spirit in our lives The love and the joy and the peace and the patience and all of those things we read about. The fruit of the Spirit. Us becoming more godly as as Daniel was. But then I want to skip forward into James. The epistle of James, chapter 1. Somebody have a page number for that? 1213 1213 one, James 1 reading from verse 6 When you ask you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that person should not expect to receive anything from the lord such a person is a double-minded and unstable Person and unstable in all they do. And later in chapter 4, James explains that an unstable, double-minded person is a non-Christian. That's what he's talking about, an unbeliever. So believers must believe and not doubt when they pray or the prayer would not be answered. It's not a blank check. So we must check the context and we must also not doubt. Then on to chapter 4. James still. Chapter 4. Verses 2 to 3. You do not have because you do not ask God. Well that doesn't sound right does it? Christians that don't ask God. Well Joshua didn't ask God. When he was going to attack the city of Ai. He It seemed like a good idea to him. And he said, well, I know how many troops I need. So he worked it out all by himself and didn't ask God. And attacked AI and was defeated. Had to go back with a red face and more troops and do the thing again. We should be asking God when we want an answer. You do not have because you do not ask God. And why don't we ask God? Because when we come to God in prayer asking God to do something for us, It's acknowledging our dependence upon God. And many people are very independent people. They don't like to think of themselves as totally dependent upon God. I declare to you, I am totally dependent upon God. And I think you are too. But then he goes on to a second one. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Hence the Bentley illustration and the Jaguar illustration. So we must pray believing. We must pray. We must pray believing. And we must not pray with wrong motives. Selfish motives. The last uh, chapter, chapter 5, verse 6. Just one line says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now a righteous person is New Testament speak for believer. A righteous person, someone with the righteousness of Christ. That's us. The prayer of righteous people, the prayers are powerful and effective. Your prayers and my prayers, if they're not selfish prayers, if we believe and not doubt, they are powerful and effective but there's one more quotation i want to want to use it's in first john chapter 5 so would somebody give me a page number for that first john chapter 5 1228? 1228 1228 first john chapter 5 verse 14 this is the confidence we have in approaching god that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You know, it doesn't say, if we ask anything, he hears us. It says, if we ask anything in his will, according to his will, he hears us. And he will answer our prayers, if it's according to his will. Now, sometimes we might say that in our prayers rather glibly, um, let your will be done, Lord. mean, Certainly, let your will be done is, is an excellent thing to pray. Jesus taught, taught us the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our guiding principle when we're praying. Praying for the will of God. Daniel prayed for the will of God because he read it in Jeremiah. He knew what the will of God was and he prayed for it. And as a result, he had this powerful devotional life I want to finish with a a true story you've all heard of Augustine Saint Augustine as he was he lived in 386 AD he was what we call a Roman Catholic everybody was back then his mother was called Monica and she was a true believer maybe you've heard this story before Augustine was not a true believer at this point although he he was searching Searching for God. He was a philosopher. Went on to become a very famous philosopher. But Monica prayed and prayed and prayed. She prayed every day. And you know what she prayed? She prayed, Lord, don't let Augustine go to Rome. That was her prayer. Lord, I want Augustine to come to faith, so don't let him go to Rome. Because Rome was the big city lights. That was like the London of those days. That was where all the sin was. That's where all the prostitutes were. That's where all the drugs were. Everything. Please, Lord, keep him from there because I want him to be saved. And one day when she wasn't in the house, he packed his bag and left for Rome. When he got to Rome, he started to search the scriptures. One day, he, he, he didn't find what he was looking for, but one day, he took the scroll of Romans, Paul's epistle to the Romans, and he took it and he went out into this uh, garden uh, so that he could be quiet and read it quietly and pray because he was looking for God to confirm that God was real and that he could be a Christian. And he sat down and he dropped the scroll in between his legs on the floor and he was just looking down at it, and then he became aware that somebody was singing something. There was a girl singing nearby, and she was singing in Latin, and she was singing, "Tolle legi, Tolle legi, tole legi." Now I don't understand Latin, but I'm assured that means "pick it up and read." Pick it up and read, and this was g- going on and on in his ears. Pick it up and read, and he suddenly realized, "Oh." Oh, you mean me? Pick it up and read. (laughs) So he picked up the Romans, the book of Romans, to read it. And he discovered that justification was by faith, by grace through faith, alone and nothing else. And it didn't matter how clever you were, you didn't have to be a philosopher. That was his hang-up. He couldn't see how simple people that weren't as clever as him could be saved, and, and he didn't understand it. And then he understood And he went on to be one of the most influential people in Christendom for years and years. He was influential with Martin Luther. Martin Luther and the Reformation. They read his writings and his Bible studies and Augustine convinced them. He was saved by the prayer of his mother. Not the prayer to keep him from Rome, but the prayer to save him. God didn't keep him from Rome. God took him to Rome and saved him there. Daniel prayed consistently and he prayed in the will of God because he studied his scriptures and he had a godly character which he developed and that's what we must do too. And if we do that we may not be as wonderful as Daniel, the prophet of the Old Testament But we will be all that God wants us to be. And that's all that God asks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your servant, Daniel. Thank you, Lord, for the way you used him in captivity there in Babylon. Thank you, Lord, for his writings that we still have in our hands today. Writings which the Lord Jesus himself spoke about in Jerusalem before it was destroyed. The prophecies that point to the future and to the second coming of Christ, All many of these things come from the, the mouth of the prophet Daniel, and yet he started as a captive who had to learn another language in another country. Lord, thank you for him. We pray that you would enable us to study our scriptures and to pray and to develop a godly character through what we read and through what you say to us in our prayers. And Lord, we pray that you would then use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.